0: This week, um, Dennis Ann will be going for knee new surgery, I believe, on Tuesday, so we're going to pray for her this morning and also remember her and her family this week as she goes um, for that surgery. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we bow before this morning. Thank you again for this opportunity to gather with fellow believers to worship you. We just pray your spirit move among us this morning. Open our hearts to the words you have for us. We just lift Dennis Ann up to you this morning. I just pray that you would be with her and her family and the doctors as they go through this surgery. I just pray you bring healing to her body. I also pray for uh, Jenea and Jaden and Cedar. Also, as they're in Rochester at the hospital, I just pray you continue to have your guiding hand in their lives. And thank you for the healing you have brought to Cedar, and I just pray you continue to do that. also pray for John this morning as he shares your word. May you bless him with clarity of thought and mind as he presents to us what you have laid on his heart. I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning and welcome to everyone. I always enjoy the Christmas songs and I thank those who chose them and also Ken for leading out in those. If we don't start soon, we're going to miss it for this year. So I think we could do all of December with Christmas songs. Children, I have a question for you and I'm going to maybe aim this at children who are not yet in school. Uh, What special day is coming up in a couple weeks here? Christmas is coming up okay is Christmas special Christmas is special okay why why is Christmas special I'd like to hear from a couple of you maybe not just preschool but go ahead Savannah I'm sorry Jesus was born okay that's one good reason any other good reasons you say it a little louder? I'm sorry. Is his birthday? Okay, yeah. Anything else? Maybe a little more personal why Christmas is special? Nobody's getting gifts this year. Okay. Well, that just the budget got cheaper. Anyway, okay. So I think I could ask you children, would you like to skip Christmas this year? How about we just say, ah, no, no Christmas. We'll just go straight to winter. Do you want to skip Christmas? No, no one wants to skip Christmas. Okay. I think it would probably be safe to say that gifts aside, uh, most children look forward to Christmas possibly more than us adults do anymore. And I'm sure there's various reasons for that, but sometimes we adults maybe need a reminder. I printed off a picture here. Give me a second and I'll hang it up. This says PowerPoint on a budget. I'm sorry, it might be a little hard to see from the back, but it shows a little boy looking eagerly or hopefully at a manger scene. And I went to look for an image. I, I googled eager child at Christmas, and those all got me images of Santa Claus or a Christmas tree full of gifts with lots of little eager children looking at them, but obviously that wasn't what I was looking for. And I changed to hopeful child at Christmas. And that got me this, which was what I was looking for. So my objective this morning is twofold. It's to see again the hope that one child brought to the world and to remind us to look at Christmas through the hopeful eyes of a child. If you could see this, you would see that he has very hopeful eyes. As Ken said, my title this morning came from the last song that we sang, Um, We sang that, I chose that song last Sunday, and thinking of this, um, to us a child of hope is born. While that exact phrase does not appear in scripture, Isaiah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government should be upon his shoulder, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want to focus primarily on two words this morning from the title. The first is child, and the second is hope. And I was kind of hoping to capture both of those in this picture this morning. I'm going to ask an obvious question for anyone. Um, How does life, mankind, us as humans, how do we continue from one generation to the next? Very simple. Children, thank you. Um, Through children, through the miracle of birth... You obviously would not be here if you had not been born, nor would you be here if your parents had not been born. Every child that is born is a promise of a coming generation, a promise of a future, something, someone who will continue after we, you and I, are not here. Throughout the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, children were looked at very much as a promise of the future. Possibly the first that comes to mind is Abraham and Sarah, and their promised son, Isaac. And I want to just briefly follow their journey, as we might say, for a few minutes this morning. And As we look at how God worked in their lives, we can see the many parables, parallels that God, if I may say, wrote in that pointed to his coming son many generations later. As I mentioned, especially in the Old Testament, sons, <clears throat> especially the firstborn son, were very important as they were the ones who would carry on the family name. I don't completely understand why the Bible is what I see as kind of unbalanced uh, towards the men. Ladies often go unmentioned. It's not uncommon to um, read a family lineage, and all the sons are listed, followed by, and many daughters. So I don't know. I'm not sure if God intended it that way or if it's possibly some of man's fallen nature coming through from that time, different subject for a different day. But as we look at the um, story of Abraham and Sarah, we do see the extreme importance that they placed on having a son. Their future literally depended on it, and not unlike how the future of God's children literally depended on his son. So I want to look a bit through Genesis. Excuse me. If you care to follow along, starting in Genesis 12... first three verses. God gives his first instructions to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So God promised to make Abraham a great nation. Now, in those days, nations, I think, were represented more by their people than by the land that they occupy. So to join a nation, you couldn't just move there necessarily. You had to join their people, not, like I said, just move to their land. So obviously the problem with Abraham was um, he had no children. God promised him later um, a land But without a land, there would be no nation. So we see God making a double promise here. Um, The first, obviously, was a personal promise to Abraham. Um, He was 75 years old and still did not have a son to carry on his family lineage. And even in those days, that was really old for not having a son. I don't know if he had any children yet. Sorry, a little ignorant here, didn't look up. Did he have any children before this? No children. Okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so the promise of a nation obviously meant a son coming to Abraham and Sarah. He had quite a few more later on, then, but that's a, yeah, anyway. So the second promise that we see here at the end of verse three speaks of the promise of God's coming son. He says here, "In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So speaking ahead. Um, while Abraham's son meant his family would not be lost, God's promised son was for all nations. And Abraham probably didn't quite realize what all that meant at that point yet. So time passed. Um, In chapter 15, Abraham again speaks with God. The first six uh, verses of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I will childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in, Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. So God promises Abraham descendants as the stars in the sky. And we know that if you look outside in the dark night, there are way more stars than can be counted. And the further you look, the more there are. So Abraham was trying to figure this out. Uh, Where would this promised nation come from? He still has no son. And so, still more time passes, and we know the story, Uh, Sarah loses patience and has this bright idea, and Ishmael is born, and we know, unfortunately, how that worked out, and while God blessed Ishmael, he was not the one that God had promised. Still more time passes, chapter 17, Abraham again talks with God. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make your covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants For after, <clears throat> excuse me, after you. Also, I give to you, to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Sounds a lot like the first time, again, um, God promising him a nation, Moving on down to verse 15, God continues, As for Sarah your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be mother of nations, king of peoples, shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful. multiply him exceedingly, and he will begat twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So this was not to be Ishmael, not to be any child, but again, the promised one. The promised child now has a name. Interesting enough that God named Isaac here. Again, more time passes, not sure how much, probably not as much this time. Chapter 18, the Lord appears again with two angels to talk to Abraham. And we read of their conversation, starting in verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Have I grown old? Shall I have pleasure, my lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Anyway, I'll stop there, sorry. Um, so, God gave Abraham, Abraham and Sarah a timeline. Um, again, he said next year. And after it was no longer humanly possible, a miracle would happen, a promised son would arrive, or was already on its way, depending how you would read this. And so we jump ahead again to chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah. Verse 1 There, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age? So God's promise came true, and verse 2 says, at the time God had planned it. Now we know that was much later than Abraham and Sarah would have planned it, and if you do the math, about 25 years later, um, which to God I know is a very short time, which to Abraham and Sarah I assume was a very long time. Um, but after waiting for 25 years, the promised son had finally arrived, and we know that through, through Isaac, God continued his promise of a nation. Isaac's grandsons, through Jacob, became the 12 tribes of Israel. And with only a few generations, um, they did begin to number as the stars of the sky. But God's chosen people of the Old Testament there began with the miraculous birth of one child. We jump forward approximately 2,000 years to another child of promise. And while this future child was also promised to Abraham, as we saw earlier there, I don't think Abraham understood as completely or hoped for this future child quite as earnestly as he did for his own son Isaac. I think that's human nature there. But I think God gives us Abraham's story as an example that human parents can relate to while waiting. We see almost a, a desperate hopefulness. In, in Abraham and Sarah there, um, almost a time of losing hope, a time of doubt, a time of trying their own way, trying to reach this coming promise that makes the difference for a continuing future for them, both literally and, as God told them, as a nation. So we kind of, I don't know, I, I was struck again in, in reading through this story how they were very, very human. And when we look at at God's Son coming and the promises, the waiting, the hundreds, the thousands of years, that was condensed into this one little story of this little family here on a very close personal nature of them waiting, of them trusting, of them trying their own methods, and finally of God coming through. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says, "'Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel.'" So God's Old Testament prophet, or sorry, God's Old Testament covenant with His people, began with a child of promise that was miraculously born to a lady that was too old. His New Testament covenant also began with a child of promise who was also miraculously born, but this time to a lady we might say was too young. I found that interesting. Both times God stepped in with a miracle to make that happen. If you would stand with me, and let's read the story of that birth as it's found in Luke chapter two. If you can say it from memory, that's fine as well. I know it's a little tricky here, but if possible, let's read it together. And I'll be using the King James, as that's probably the most common here. So Luke chapter two, verse one. Everyone. because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with will toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were going away from them to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go now unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that had heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen seen as it was told unto them. Thank you. You can be seated. Like I said, most of us could probably recite that passage almost without reading it. We've heard it, I would hope, at least once a year, uh, every year since we were little. Does it still bring the same wonder and even hope when we read that as we see on the picture here? In front, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 18, verse 3, that one must become as a little child in order to enter his kingdom. This little boy here, Christmas is full of promise. um, It's full of hope. Maybe he's thinking of all the presents he'll get, but I don't think that's what he's focused on right now. But as we get older, sometimes that enthusiasm that we see in his face, it fades a bit. Maybe we lose a little bit of that hope. Maybe, like Abraham and Sarah, we secretly laugh at the possibility of God's promises actually coming true. It's been too long. It's too late now. It's not going to happen. Maybe, like Sarah, we lose patience with God and devise our own plan. And I do find it interesting that God did not outright curse Ishmael. Um, He actually blessed him in an oddly similar way as he did Abraham's descendants, By giving Ishmael 12 sons who grew up to become leaders of their own tribes, not so very different from what Jacob's sons would be. But the rivalry, the conflict between Ishmael's and Isaac's descendants has been one of the biggest curses on Jewish people and continues even to this day, 4,000 years later, with no immediate appearance of being resolved. And so it will be for us if we run ahead of God. Our plans may prosper. They may even appear to be blessed by God for a time, but ultimately they will interfere with God's better and more perfect plan. How can we keep the true hope of Christmas? We, like the Jews of the Old Testament, live in difficult times. Many of the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah spoke of someone who would come as a conqueror, a deliverer, one who would reign again as king on the ancient throne of David. When the Messiah finally did arrive, many lost hope in him because he did not fulfill the expectations that they had created for themselves. Unfortunately, many of the original people, the Jews, have never regained that hope. So they continue to live in disappointment, waiting for that which has already come. What is the hope that you and I are waiting for? Is it immediate deliverance from our current situation? Is it that all the wrongs and social injustices around us would be made right? Do we hope for peace, prosperity, and good health? Uh, None of those things are wrong. But have we, like Sarah, attempted by our own methods to bring those things about? Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter writes here of a living hope, giving the idea of a hope that is not based on a single fixed event in the past, but one that continues to live and grow based on events that have not yet come to pass. Like a child at Christmas time, eagerly looks forward to what the day will bring, so we that have that promise of Christ's death and resurrection can eagerly anticipate all that He is preparing for our inheritance one day. Peter writes in verse 5 of being kept by the power of God through faith. There's a promise and assurance there, even though we have not yet experienced it. I remember as a young child, um, you know, however big, uh, my grandparents, aunts and uncles on my mom's side put a much bigger emphasis on gift giving than some would have. And there was always quite a pile. There was no tree, but there was plenty of gifts to make up for a lack of anything there. And we cousins were supposed to stay away, you know, but we usually managed, it was in the basement, to sneak down and we would check out which presents had our names on them. And we would shake them a bit and squeeze them and feel them. And While we didn't know what those packages actually contained, we tried to guess. We claimed them as our own even before we opened them. Um, those were ours. And we can do the same thing with the hope of God's promise that, that God's promises bring to us. We can claim those promises even before we open them, even before they're opened to us. And I understand that as adults, sometimes we have a difficult time matching the enthusiasm of a child at Christmas. Uh, Deadlines, disappointments, worries and obligations can wipe that smile away. But if we as Christians cannot show the hope at Christmas time, who can? And that is my encouragement to each of us, myself included, to let this season be a time of hope to ourselves and to also share that hope with those around us. So let's stand for prayer and remain standing for a final song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this season again of Christmas, a time when we celebrate not only your son coming to earth as a baby, but also the promise of his return one day. Give us your hope and your joy, even as we face the day-to-day demands of life. Help us to share that hope and the joy with others as we have opportunity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ken. Ken.